giant robot smashing into other giant robots. What's new with you? Oh, not too much. Just still getting settled in, trying to find a groove. So, um, here in Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. You know? So you moved yeah. because of the lead pages thing. They want, yeah. you, you wanted to be there in person. Yep. How are the offices and all that? Oh, the offices are really nice. Yeah. They've done a good job. Like it feels like a Silicon Valley setup, you know, like open concept swing sets in the middle of the office, <laughs> infinite snacks, uh, <laughs> all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Everyone is super nice. I've met so far. It's like a super respectful environment. So it's uh, it's cool. No complaints. That's pretty awesome. I imagine you got a, a taste of the culture before you decided to go work there. <laughs> yeah, we visited out there once and, and then had, you know, tons of conversations with a bunch of different people in the company. And uh, it was like, it seemed like at first it would be too good to be true. Like, is it really this good? But I, so far it is. So Nice. Yeah. So what kind of stuff did you do this week? Yeah. So this week, a couple different things moving on a few different fronts. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the biggest one or the most visible one is that we relaunched our new marketing website. For oh, Drip. yeah. Yep. So we were previously, our marketing site was like lived inside of our Rails application and was at www.getdrip.com. Mm-hmm. And, you know, part of the effort in transitioning to lead pages is that, you know, their marketing team wanted to be able to test things easily, run, you know, split tests and optimize copy and the whole conversion funnel. And so we wanted to get the marketing site outside of the Rails application. And then we also wanted to kind of give it a a visual refresh um, of sorts since the design has been pretty consistent since 2013-ish. So, you know, it was time to kind of give it a, a refresh overall. So... That feels like one of those perfect things that doesn't make sense to have outside the main app at first. Yeah. And then eventually it's like, all right, we should, we should pull this out. Right. Yep. So now it lives in its own thing. And it was actually a pretty smooth cutover. We just like obviously tested it out heavily and they pulled just the core pages into this new kind of static site. And then we just set up redirects on our side. So when you hit the home page or the pricing page, some of these other things, then um, we just 301 straight over to drip.co. So mm-hmm. Yeah, you changed domains. I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. So far, it seems like nothing, nothing major has broken. And, and now it's just a, a shiny new site. How do you feel about drip.co? I mean, I wish we could have drip.com. Uh, sure. but, but I feel like drip.co is an improvement over getdrip.com because so many people call us get drip. Hmm. And mm-hmm. that's like a pet peeve. Like it kind of grates on you over time because yeah. <laughs> the product is called Drip, you know. So it's nice now. Maybe more people will call us Drip. Yeah, it's it is interesting how your domain can sometimes become the unofficial name, and I I totally right. see how that would rub you the wrong way. Right. I think I, I was interviewing for someone from it might have been Intercom, and I th- I was like, so like tell me about Intercom.io. And he was like, it's just intercom. And I was like, right, of course it's just intercom. I don't know why in my head it snapped to that just because it's your domain, but it happens. Right. Yeah, I think Segment went through the same thing. They were Uh, like segment.io and then they they got segment.com, but they're like, no, just call us Segment. (laughs) Right. Yeah, totally. Is it it your dream to buy drip.com someday? I mean, yeah, it would be cool. For the longest time, it's been a... Well, actually, I think this came about after we actually started, but it was like a music sharing site for indie musicians and um and then we saw that they got acquired by kickstarter well first they were shutting down and then we saw that kickstarter scooped them up 
And so now drip.com redirects to drip.kickstarter.com, which is kind of hmm. interesting. So I just pulled it up right now and it's like, it looks like it's actually a parked domain right now. It's not, huh. it's not redirecting anywhere. Fascinating. Uh, yeah. This domain has been registered at safenames.net. Wow. So maybe it's That's available. Crazy. Perhaps. Time for some more 301s. <laughs> yeah. Just make sure they don't know you really want it. That's the key right, to domain right. negotiation, I hear. Yep. <laughs> you were at MicroConf this year, and someone from Teamwork, the app called Teamwork, said that he saw a huge, they saw a big lift in business when they bought Teamwork.com, and he thought it had like a big impact on their like legitimacy. Yeah. I thought that was really interesting, because it's kind of counter to what the typical advice is from people like don't spend too much time thinking of a name don't yeah. spend too much time too much money trying to acquire a domain name early on when you're just starting out yeah and i've been like a firm believer that names don't really matter it's kind of the execution of everything else so i thought that was an interesting yeah you know kind of counter argument to that yeah and it, although it was a little bit it was kind of like and then we bought a new, new domain name and like things started going better and it's like well maybe that was the thing but who knows Right. Yeah. yeah. Like, could you actually correlate or, you know, is there a causal relationship there or is it just correlation? Yeah. Not really sure. Totally. Yeah. So new marketing site, new domain name. That's not yep. bad since last time I talked to you. Yeah. What, what yeah. else is going on? So we're also, um, this has been in the works for a few weeks. Um, it's kind of one of those projects that I thought was going to be a small one and turned into a much larger one. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, so we're working on a visual refresh of our drip opt-in widget. Mm, um, mm -hmm. You know, Drip started out basically as an app that lets you install a little opt-in widget on your website. So you put a drip snippet of JavaScript there, a widget shows up on your website, and then you could gather um, new subscribers and send them a follow-up sequence. Um, and that was like the core of Drip 1.0. Mm -hmm. um, so this has been in the app since since day one, and it really the the visual design of it has not changed um, since we launched. And so it is starting to look a little bit dated. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I originally thought this would be a pretty quick project. We just, you know, kind of copy the styles over, create a second style available so you could choose classic or the new one, mm. and then just kind of morph the design into um, this new look. Um, but it's turned out to be pretty big effort. And it's one of those tasks that, you know, you can't really break up into smaller pieces very well. Ideally, I would want to ship this in small pieces. But when people choose a form design, they expect it to be fully functional like the old design. So they want to be able to choose slide from the right or slide from the bottom mm -hmm. or show as a light box or embed an image. And, you know, once you get kind of under the covers, there's a lot of functionality there that needs to be um, to maintained. And also, like, this code is super battle-tested. Like, we're injecting HTML on people's websites. So it has to be, like, really rock solid. Yeah. And, you know, it's littered with, like, important yeah, I was um, ask. clauses on CSS and stuff right. like that. So it's been, it's turned into, like, a multi-week effort. Because it's basically me working on that project and then also, like, spending time on looking for new developers to hire and um, reviewing code and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It's interesting how you're splitting your time. Like you're still writing code and reviewing code and also doing like high level CTO stuff like let's look for the next people. Yeah. Are you having any trouble shifting between those contexts at all? I think so. I think <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out where I'm going to be focusing most of my time. I've been trying to get more rigorous about like saving the morning hours for doing maker stuff and actually writing code and then other times of the day like sectioning off 
times for meetings and other times to, to talk to candidates and review code. So yeah, there's like five different things on my plate right now. And I'm kind of still trying to get my rhythm and figure out how to stay productive uh, with all these different things happening. I think once we get past this phase of, of hiring our next batch of people, I think things are going to ease up a little bit. So we're, we're hiring right now for a kind of like a backend scaling engineer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm hoping that this person can kind of take ownership of like backend maintenance and making sure that servers are healthy and that we're able to handle the load and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And also we're, we're hiring someone to handle UX and design. So, you know, ideally that person can pair up with one of the backend engineers and they can build features end to end and ship them uh, mm. without needing my intervention. So totally. basically trying to, in these hires, trying to remove myself as a bottleneck in the process. Mm-hmm. Are you open to remote people or are these, do they need to be local to Minneapolis? We, uh, yeah, so we're open to remote, but we're, trying to find local first. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it kind of fits with the lead pages culture of, of everyone working out of the same office. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of benefits to be had if you can sit next to the person, you know, and for pair sure. with them and for sure. get them on board. So definitely trying to find local first. Gotcha. Well, we have an yeah. audience of people that might be applicable. So who knows? Yeah. Yeah. If anyone's in the Minneapolis area and you're a Rails dev or a designer, hit me up. Yeah. Um, so speaking of remote, we have an internal debate going on right now about a topic that is typically sort of sensitive, I guess. And I was thinking today how much more difficult it is to have emotionally charged conversations over text-based mediums. Mm. And it's just, it struck me how important writing skills already were, but are becoming even more so. Yeah. So we have distributed offices so we, we, you know, I have, there are 20 something people in Boston that I see face to face, but there's another 60 or 70 people that work in other offices here. And so being able to express yourself well in writing in Slack and in our, in like Basecamp equivalent and Trello and GitHub issues. And it's just, it's, it's all text now. And so like your English teacher was right. Writing is like really such a core skill. I think more than anybody could have imagined. I don't know if people imagine the explosion of text and needed to to write for it uh, on the internet happening. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see like the like business case studies. So I was in the um, MBA program for a while after I graduated from college because mm-hmm. I thought that was the path I needed to take to uh, to be an entrepreneur. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I laugh about that now. Yeah, um, but like I remember in some of the management courses, you know, they talked about basically the fidelity of communication mediums and like mm. you know the lowest fidelity being written and then. There's the whole spectrum and the great highest fidelity, obviously, being in person. So a person can read your body language and hear your voice mm-hmm. and all those factors. And so, yeah, it is interesting that we've shifted, like, predominantly our business communication to text. Yeah. Um, and, and how much gets lost in translation in that process, you know? Totally. It's a little worrying. Like, in text, like, you have bold and caps and italics and none of that emoji soft- i guess yeah and like <laughs> almost yeah exactly like emoji i think helps the, the emojis on the other side but like most of your tools are like intensifiers right like, i guess emoji can help like a little smiley or something is like okay this is kind of like a don't worry i'm smiling as i type this kind of thing but right it, it just feels like it's it's so hard not to interpret text in a negative way right this is something derek Pryor has talked about with in relation in regards to code reviews uh, which is mm-hmm. like it's a great opportunity to accidentally upset somebody 
Right. Everything will somehow feel like a personal attack via text. And so like, yeah. he, he has tips like, like things that we do are, you know, we try to ask questions in code review, like, would this be clear if we extracted a method here? Because it, if you, if you, it's just so easy to read a thing in a negative way otherwise. Right. I've definitely noticed my writing style has gotten more nuanced and like I've had to, like oftentimes the way I'll write something in a code review is different than, than the way I would say it if I were talking to the person definitely. face to face. Definitely. And I think like learning how to do that is, is a learned skill and you don't, it's not automatic. Yeah, for sure. I've spoken to Chris about this before and he, he tries to not have any of these sensitive conversations over text. And I'm, I totally, I'm on board. I get it. It's not really practical for us when it's like, we need to have a discussion between a hundred people. It's like, well, we're right. not all going to jump on a hangout. Um, right. So it's, it's tricky, tricky waters to navigate. What do you guys do for those types of things? Like, I know there was some some big news broken at at Thoughtbot recently. Yep. Like, was that a lot of one on one conversations, or was that like a a go to meeting or something? Like, yeah, Chad basically spent the whole day calling everyone. Yeah. Um, so starting, I guess, with the people that were directly affected by uh, and like have you know being laid off, and then I wasn't in the office, so I got a phone call separately. But I think there were also like just like a like general hangouts with each office. It's like we're all going to talk to Chad at three o'clock. Right. I think that's how that went down. Yeah. And just learning like, so this has been a transition for the drip team, you know, before a core group of us moved out here to Minneapolis, most of us were sitting in the same office together. So we would go to lunch once a week. Um, we would kind of talk, you know, Anna head of customer success would be there and me and one of our other developers. So, you know, we would all get to kind of sit around the table and have conversations about what everyone's working on that week. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, now it's just that much more difficult because two of our developers now are remote. Um, and so trying to figure out how to like maintain the same quality of information being passed from, uh, from the different areas of the business, um, because I think there's a lot of value in that. I think that's something that a lot of companies miss out on. Um, you know, development sits in isolation and is not hearing from customer success and is not hearing from support. And so I think we have to to put in extra effort since we're not able to sit around the same table now. Yeah, I'd be interested to, interested to hear your good ideas or other people's good ideas around this because I think this yeah. is going to increasingly be an important competitive differentiator. Like if you, yeah. if you can hire remote people, I, I think you can get better people. If you don't have a geographic constraint, you have more options, right? Right. But then you have this brand new challenge of how do you make a team that's as good while distributed as one that's sitting next to each other? And I, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know if anyone does, but I'm, I'm interested in good ideas around that. Yeah. Yeah. And also, like, since we're, we're very likely going to have this, this split of part remote, part local for a while, I think the challenge is also making sure that your remote employees feel like they're still as looped in as the local ones. Right. And totally. I think, I think a lot of times that means, like, pushing more communication into Slack. Mm-hmm. Um, which is okay, but I don't know about you, but I've started to like develop a really serious love-hate relationship with Slack. Yeah. Like, you know, it can be super interruptive um, and break you out of flow. So I've been trying to like figure out how to snooze it during times when I'm trying to get stuff done. Yep. I don't know. Are there any secrets you've unlocked about Slack management? Yeah, get out of it. Yeah. Slack is an awesome tool for when I don't really want to work. Right. It's like, oh, there's plenty of things that look kind of like work over here and they're all like highlighted white and I can scroll through them and check them off as a, as red and it's just yeah. it, it, it looks legit, but it's not. It's just it's well, it's mostly. It's mostly a trap kind of. And so right. 
I have a checklist for starting my morning. And one of the things on there is close Slack, close email, close messages, like just shut everything off before you start yeah. trying to do anything. Because if I just, it's, it's natural to come in the morning and be like, oh, let me just open everything up. And it's like, here are several tabs that all seem like good, important things. And right. maybe they're not though. Yeah, I think that's, I'm probably going to have to do a similar strategy. And I think the other thing is like, you have to be deliberate about training the team on what are proper uses for Slack and what things belong in email. Like I'm actually hmm. not, I'm not a believer that Slack totally killed email. Like we were just having a conversation in the office about this the other day. Like email is great because, you know, you can mark things as unread, you can let them sit there and you won't lose track of it. It won't get lost in some thread that's now like, you know, 500 messages back. Yeah. Um, and so I think the anxiety comes when someone posts something in a Slack channel, whether it's a private message or in one of the public channels. And it's like definitely something that I will need to come back to and address, but it's not super urgent. Right. But since I'm worried now about it getting lost in the thread, it's like, oh, now I need I better address this now. Otherwise, it's going to get lost. Yeah. So like I almost think maybe we need like a Slack uh, a guide on how to use Slack and other communication mediums that kind of is like a standard procedure for the whole team. I don't hmm. know. This is still really early thought process, but yeah. I feel like we need to get some norms built around it. Totally. I'd be interested. I, I don't I don't think we have anything like that where it's sort of evolving naturally, but it would be yeah. it'd be an interesting exercise to write that down. Like what are yeah. what are what are two or three things that sound like good ideas that are worth trying? Right. I hadn't thought of it explicitly, but I like that point about it does not replace email. There are, there are advantages that asynchronous has, for sure. Uh, right. Mostly in the recipient. There are a lot of things I'd rather be emailed about than like have a, a private message sent to me on Slack. Yeah. That other one feels like, oh, this is high priority. It's real time. I should respond to this right now. Because it's chat. That's how chat works. Right. Email is more like, I will get to this soon. But it's not, you know, there's no urgency here. Or less urgency. Yep. Well, let me know if you, if you do something like that. Sure, I definitely will. You should yeah. open source it. Yeah. If you make it. <laughs> Throw it up on GitHub. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what we do generally with most of our stuff. We have yeah. we have some internal, or quite a few internal documents, but a lot of it, like if we can make it public, why not? It helps yeah, other people. Yeah, that's a cool idea. I love it. What else is up in your world? So there's one other interesting tidbit that I, I wanted to bring up. Yeah. Um, so I was listening to David Cancel's podcast, Seeking Wisdom. Okay. And he did an episode recently where he was talking about some of the methods they use when interviewing new candidates and hiring. So mm. this was kind of, you know, relevant to what we've been working on. Was and, he, sorry, was he formerly HubSpot? Is that the HubSpot person? Yes. Okay. Yep. Yeah. He's a serial entrepreneur. He started a bunch of stuff. And I think most recently, before he started his, his most recent company, he was the lead product at HubSpot. Okay. So he brought up this this idea of taking personality tests, like asking candidates to do that and then having your employees do it as well to kind of gauge like how compatible, you know, employees are with each other. Hmm. So I haven't gone that far to like ask potential candidates to do that, but he recommended this this site called 16 Personalities, which is kind of like a, a modified Myers-Briggs type of assessment. Mm -hmm. So I took it and it's actually was was pretty eye-opening for me. Hmm. Like my history with personality assessments has been like sketchy. Like when I was in the MBA program, that was a big part of the process was like taking a bunch of these different assessments and figuring out what your strengths are. And I remember at the time I, I kind of wasn't a big fan because I felt like they were trying to put me in a box, like saying like, well, you're not cut out for management or you're, you're only cut out for this specific thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I kind of had like a, a negative reaction to that. Mm -hmm. um, but I've kind of 
come to realize that like it's more about understanding yourself and figuring out what your leanings are your innate leanings are in your personality and then figuring out how to manage that in your in your day-to-day life Mm -hmm. and in your work totally have you ever done uh, assessments like that before i have not but i'm always struggling with that exact thing you talked about which is how do i pay attention to what works and doesn't work for me and design my time and life around that right and actually i have some stuff to share on that uh sort of from this last week but, yeah, I, but I, I think cool. about it a lot. So did you, you felt you learned something? Like it was a useful I mean, exercise for you? So at the end, at the end of the assessment, they basically give you a whole bio based on your, well, it's five letters actually. Um, there's like one additional dimension to the traditional four letters. That's, mm-hmm. um, and so, you know, reading through this bio, I would say probably about 80% of it felt like it matched my personality, mm-hmm. which was pretty cool. And you know, they say like at the end, this is going to be kind of spooky most likely because it's going to sound a lot like you mm-hmm. and like there were things in there like talking about in your work life how you how you are typically as a manager and a lot of the like I don't consider myself a manager and I think that's part of my personality is like people who are managing others with my personality type tend to like to think of it more as building a team where we're all working together towards a common goal and then you know there's more details about like things that you should look out for when you're leading a team with this personality type, like here are some of your weaknesses and then here are some of your strong areas. So it kind of like gave me some things to think about as just day-to-day work life, how I might, you know, areas I need to pay more attention to because maybe my personality is is not as strong in that area, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Totally, yeah. I'm by no means an expert on this, but I, I worry about it too, I guess, which is like yeah. to, to what degree do you need to be thinking about the goals and career arc and whatnot of the people that report to you and making sure they're progressing on those and checking in with them and all that. And right. I imagine it's different for different people, but this feels like one of my like lowest rated attributes kind mm-hmm. of thing in terms of like RPG character skills. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm interested in more on that. So you, so do you think it's worth, is it worth doing that test? Like, did you feel like you got some interesting insight? Like I, I'm a little skeptical of personality tests. Like I, I worry they're a little bit yeah. like horoscopes where it's like, Oh yeah, that sounds like me. It's like, well, it sounds like a lot of people. Is it you, right? Like, you would do I, it. I would recommend. I would recommend taking it. Oh, I'll try. It. I think. Yeah, give it a try. It's a free test at sixteenpersonalities.com. Okay. And I actually took it a few times because I, the first time I took it, I did pick out like the twenty percent of things that didn't seem to align with me, and I'm like, maybe, maybe I didn't answer totally honestly. Hmm. I think I remember like when I took these kinds of tests back in college. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure my letters were like completely different, and I think at the time I was trying to, I was trying to answer in the way that I wanted to be, and not right. in a way that's like actually my default mode totally so i think like try to be as honest as you can as you're taking it you yeah know? self-reporting is a tricky i think it always yeah. has that has that issue yeah the like people totally. have an ideal in mind and they want to interpret it that way and what i like about this one is it gives you like a percentage rating on the different like everything's a spectrum each dimension is a spectrum so it'll be like you know, the introversion, extroversion scale is like maybe you're 60% introvert, 40% extrovert or something like that. Mm -hmm. And it kind of like gives you a sense for like, it's not totally black and white. And there is, there are spectrums on each of these. Mm -hmm. And it's just a little bit greater depth of understanding, I think. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. It would be weird to discover you were 100% anything. Right, right. Every day, all the time, I'm always extroverted. That that would be weird. Right. Yes. So I've, I've been thinking about things related to that. I feel like this is kind of one of my core tasks that I have to do to stay productive is pay attention to 
what works for me and what doesn't. So like I have this, I have this sort of like constant push pull with systems to manage my what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And so I have this experience. I've I've heard this in the context of uh, like weightlifting, but I think it applies to a lot of things. Which is anything works for a month, nothing works forever. Sure. And so like I always have this good result like when I switch between something. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna stop using OmniFocus and I'm gonna switch to this thing. Or like, I'm going to start getting up really early or I'm going to start, you know, not opening Slack and email when I get to work or like these, all these, all these different things. And, and everything works for a little while. I don't think I'm ever going to find something that just continuously works. But over time, yeah. I'm slowly building up this repertoire of things to switch between, I guess, and, and like mm-hmm. general tactics that work for me. And so I'm bringing all this up because the last couple weeks I have felt like sort of in a rut, I guess. And it was right around when we put me in charge basically of upcase and form keep at the same time and it was suddenly like my whole okay. world got shifted in like you know five seconds it was like okay here's a new reality and i was like whoa uh and it's honestly taken me a couple of weeks to kind of get out of this thing and i recognized what i was doing which is something that's happened before and it was i get a little bit overwhelmed sometimes when things change rapidly like that and then suddenly there sure. are a huge amount of possibilities sure it's like okay i've now like doubled at least the things i could do and there are lots of things that all look pretty good and i but but now i've lost sight of what's most important and where i should be so is it like double the amount of work now managing upcase and form keep or do you feel like it's like are you going to kind of alternate between the two as needed um it's more than double the work um upcase is a lot more work than form keep so we had two people full-time on upcase plus a part-time designer, plus a part-time producer. So there's a bunch of work that's related to Upcase. And, and Upcase is not like FormKeep. So FormKeep is a software product that mostly just keeps going if I, as right. long as the servers are up. Upcase is not that. Every week you get an email with like a new, uh, up until recently, a brand new video that had been produced at some point in the last month. Courses need updating. People have questions that are not just support questions, but like, I don't understand TDD. They're this aspect of this thing. And there's also a lot, like three times as many customers on Upcase. So right. a much higher support burden. And so I was in this state where I didn't know what to do. And I also had this guilt around like, I'm not doing all the things either. Like, since I don't know what to do, I'm overwhelmed by, and like, this is why I failed out of college, by the way, was like, there's so much to do. I don't know what to pick. I'm overwhelmed. I'll do nothing. Right. And so I had a couple like zero days, basically, where I'd come to work and I'd be like, Okay, here we go. Uh, wow, I don't know what to do. And I would like fiddle around the edges of real work. Where it's like, okay, yeah. well, like this small thing f- feels manageable and it, it's pretty work-like. So like, let me do that. And right. in college, I was very bad at you know, dealing with th- that thing. And so like, it was catastrophic, like the, the, the degree to which I would do that. Fortunately, now I've seen it before and enough times and I, and I know roughly the causes. And so I feel like I'm on the other side of this now. So okay. had a little dark period, but I'm, I'm in a good place now. And so I've did, I did a couple things. So one is I realized that Upcase is not in good hands with me. Like it's a disservice mm-hmm. to Upcase and its customers to have me do it. Right. I was on the team that created it in the first place. I ran it for two and a half years. I was involved even uh, loosely when Chris came on the project and then you know, heard about it every week and all this. And I'm just, I'm just not in a mental place where like, I want to work on that product. Right. Uh, and like I, I imagine maybe you can empathize with like code tree perhaps it's just like it's this other thing it needs it needs attention and work but I, I'm not the guy for this yeah I found that you know trying to 
move two completely separate products forward at the exact same time, mm-hmm. it, I, I don't know who can do that well, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And especially hearing you talk about how much, you know, they're, they're two completely different apps in this sense of what amount of, what type of work is required to put into them. Mm-hmm. And so I'm trying to imagine you, you know, being able to sh- context switch between, you know, building the software product and figuring out how to market that and then building what's essentially kind of a service that has a lot of content, mm-hmm. right, in Upcase. Like, yep. yeah, that sounds really daunting. Yeah, totally. Uh, and so I just sort of did both badly for a little while. Um, yeah. But so the realization was, okay, Upcase should not be a thing I run. And so having me part-time on it and not into it is worse than having someone even more part-time but into it right and so i just posted a thing internally saying hey like upcase should have a product manager and it should not be me here are the things that i think you might want to think about uh here are the challenges Uh, i'm happy to offer advice and whatnot but i i'm looking for someone to do with it as they want Uh, and one person at least responded who was very excited about it so uh we're talking about that and awesome i've already handed it off in my mind hopefully this will continue to play out in reality yeah yeah so so that was a big thing it was just the answer to the question of like what should i be doing and it was like it's not upcase it's right. it, it deserves better than what i will do for it and the other like explicit works for a little while but never forever technique that i've been doing is i switch back to uh index cards as a tracker for what i'm going to do so I mm-hmm. have like a pretty beautiful OmniFocus setup, and I think it's like an amazing software tool. But there's a lot there. There's so much there, and it's it's actually even pretty good at like hiding the stuff that's not relevant for right now. Uh, right. So some of it's just discipline on my on my part to like like yes, this is a good project. Do not show it to me right now. I'm not going to do it right now. And and so I did some of that. But when I get in this state where it's like there's so much, I'm overwhelmed. If when I went overwhelmed, I default to nothing. So I need to avoid that state. And so what I started just doing was like okay. I'm going to write like one thing down, maybe two things down on an index card and leave it on my desk in the middle. And so I'll walk in in the morning and it won't be like, what should I do? Open up OmniFocus. Wow, there's a lot here. It's like, there's just that one thing on like these these two or three things on the card and they each feel pretty doable, but they're all the right thing. They're all good things to do. Right. And that has helped a lot. And it's been a few days and it's just, and it's not magic and it won't work forever. But for me, that was a useful technique in this period to kind of break me out of the like, there's so much feeling. Yeah, I think sometimes we have like the inclination to like want to throw more tools at the problem. Like (laughs) I'm having trouble figuring out what to work on. What new tool can I put in the mix? And sometimes it sometimes it's a matter of like stripping away tools, like going back to handwriting on a note card. Like that's it doesn't get any simpler than that. Yeah. Sometimes that's what you need. Right. Yes. Tools can just can give you the impression that you're doing organizing well when really it's like. Maybe you can just spend some time pushing things around in a in an app. You know, it's almost a form of procrastination. Yep, is what I found. Totally. So that's interesting. Like, do you tend to separate out like planning out what you're gonna do from actually working on the problems? Like, because that's something that I found. You know, sometimes I'll get to the point where like we've had conversations throughout the week. Maybe we've talked to customers. We've talked internally to other people who have ideas about what should be built. And I get to the point where I feel like, okay, I'm in the middle of something right now, but there's this other really cool thing that we should start working on. Maybe I should work on, you know, trying to get another team member to start working on that. And, mm-hmm. oh, we should also spec up this thing. And, like, my head can get totally clouded with, like, all these different ideas floating around. And I've found one of the best things to do in that scenario is to sit down. Usually it's with Rob and we kind of, like, run through, here's what everyone's working on. Here's what we have 
coming up next in the queue and here's all the ideas that we have. So we're like throw down all the ideas that are mm. floating around in my head, mm-hmm. either get them down on paper or get them, you know, into the issue tracker if they're well formed enough. And then we like assign to people, prioritize and try to get that done in one sweep. And then it's like, all right, now, now we know what at least the next week or two looks like. Mm-hmm. And let's not, let's try not to touch that priority list again. Mm-hmm. I like that explicit decision to not touch it again. That feels like the, yeah. the kind of magic part. And you're, like you're explicitly firewalling the like, think about the work, do the work. Right. And like you're freeing up your, your brain to do one or the other. Yeah. And I think like there's, there's a lot of like trouble with trying to plan too far out ahead, which I think where a lot of teams try to say like, we're going to set our six month roadmap. Mm. And it's like, that's impossible. Yeah. You're, if you try to do that, you're going to be constantly revising. Yeah. But you can, you can very likely at least get your next week planned out, right. you know, to the point where like you do your planning and then you don't think about what your priorities are again because it's all planned out, you know, ahead of time. Yeah, I like that. I, I think the, for me, that kind of takes the form in the last couple of days of at the end of the day, I try to write like a the note card for the next day. Yep. And that's that's like kind of the, that, that split for me. Right. And then during the day, it's just like all, my only goal during the day is just like just scratch a line through things because they're done now. Yeah. And then like come, you know, evening time, it's like, all right, let's let's pull out a new card and put some new stuff on that. Yeah. For a while there, I was doing something similar where, you know, I had my Trello board and I had my GitHub issues queue, but I still wanted to basically set a goal for the next day because sometimes, you know, you could get through a day and realize like I didn't actually check anything off. Mm -hmm. Like maybe some of these issues, some of these tasks are long running. They're too big. And like that does mess with your head a little bit when you're trying to get the you know, dopamine rush of like checking something off the to-do list. Mm-hmm. So um, it's a Chrome plugin called Momentum, I think. Mm-hmm. And it basically, anytime you open a new tab, it shows you like, has some nice background image and it shows you the time and the day and like a motivational quote at the bottom. And then you could like input a to-do list with like a few items you want to get done that day. Mm. And then anytime you open up a new tab, you see it and you can then check things off as you go. Hmm. So I was using that. I mean, that's similar similar type of result as using note cards. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't been very good at doing that recently, but I did find it at least helped me feel like I was being productive if I set goals for the day and was able to check them off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's that, that feeling of like over the finish line is the crucial part. Like yeah. I try, to write my, I try to write my to-dos that are like, you'll know when this is done because it's phrased in a way that's done. It doesn't just say like hound pricing. It's like right. get approval from these people about this thing. And then it's like, okay, yep. I can tell that's complete now. Yep. I think you could probably do a whole podcast episode on like writing good to-do items, I suspect. Merlin Mann yep. has probably done it, hours of that content. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. I'm sure. Also, one one weird thing, or maybe surprising thing I've been doing with the index cards is I normally I split my personal and work stuff up, like in OmniFocus, those are totally different like categories. Uh-huh. But I've been putting a little bit of both on these cards and... I've been doing it because of this thing that I realized, which is if there's something that needs attention to my personal life too, it affects my work life. And so like maybe the best time to do this thing is not during the day, but if it's, if I, if I know it needs doing and it's nagging me, it actually maybe is the thing to do because it clears my mind to do the other stuff. Right. So I've been trying to embrace that. And like, I have this like slight guilt of like, this isn't a work thing and I'm doing it at work, but also I, I think it's the right thing for me, at least right now. Like it's, it's yeah. helping me calm my my monkey brain right now. Yeah, if you can keep your number of to do lists down to a minimum, I found that like really helps. Yeah, so, 
um, I kind of picked up this technique from Rob too, where he, I think he used to have like a bunch of Trello boards for different things. And I'm pretty sure he's consolidated down into one. And then he has like, like high priority to do's and low priority to do's. And then he tracks what he's done and what's in progress and stuff like that. And I think it makes a lot of sense. Like even things, if there's something sitting in my inbox that I know, email inbox that I know I need to follow up on, mm-hmm. But I don't want to see, you know, I don't want my inbox to become a long running to do list. I want it to be short term to do's and anything that is, you know, can't be done in the same day it's received. I generally try to either like boomerang it using the boomerang plugin in Gmail Mm -hmm. or forwarding the email to my Trello board so that there's, you know, there's an item in my to do list to follow up with that. And then I can archive the email so it's not staring me in the face, Mm -hmm. you know. Because I think it's just hard to focus when you keep flipping between email inbox, Trello, or whatever other implicit to-do list you have, mm-hmm. and you're like seeing all these do items, and it's like, which one should I be working on? I should do them all. Yeah, yeah. I have a, I have a stupid example of the things affecting each other. So it's I, I like to I feel like splitting your personal and work to-dos up kind of pretends that you have a partition in your brain, but my brain doesn't re- like think like there's work and there's personal. There's just like, how's my life going? And like right. the, tra- the answer to that question basically sets my anxiety level, which sets my productivity level. And so yep. it sounds ridiculous, but like I usually schedule my next haircut at the end of my haircut. I, f- I happen to forget this last time. And so I normally go like five weeks with, with, between haircuts. And this time I had gone like 12 weeks between haircuts. And so my yep. hair just kept getting longer and longer. And I kept like not making the appointment, like just, just forgetting to take care of this. And it, it sounds ridiculous, but like I would go into the bathroom and see myself in the mirror, like, oh, God damn it, I have to do that thing. And it just yep. contributed to this like general sense of like, I'm not getting my shit done. <laughs> like it just, yep. it just made me feel like I don't have my life in order. And this is just like one of these things. And so I just, I just put it on my, my like one of my Trello um, or one of my uh, index cards. It was like, this is important enough. Like I need to like get this done because it's not a work thing and it shouldn't matter, but it does. Like it's, it's contributing to this sense of disarray, which is yeah. impacting me everywhere. Yeah. And it's totally a myth to think that like things in personal life don't affect productivity in work life, you yeah, know? Totally. And so like, I'm sure if you're, yeah, if you brought that to your employer and said, Hey, I'm going to do this personal to do item because it's going to make me so much more productive. They'll be like, right. Go for it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> right. That's true. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I imagine people's interpretation of what I'm doing in a less charitable light than it actually tends to be in reality. Yep. I feel like every time, like I'll have one-on-ones with Chad, my boss, and every so often I'll be like, I'll expect him to like, think something is dumb or whatever and his reaction is always more positive than i am almost almost always more positive than i expect this is true for yeah. my whole life basically yeah. I, don't, I don't know why it is but my my calibrate I, I know my calibration is off i expect people to take bad news worse to interpret certain things i'm doing worse it's and i don't know where it comes from but it's it's one of my things yeah i think that's i have a similar uh, quirk in my personality that and I think actually doing my 16 personalities test revealed like that is one of the characteristics of, of my personality. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I'm curious to see if that shows up for me too. I feel like I need a yeah. giant poster, which is like, it wasn't so bad, which is what right. I'm always thinking after the fact of like these difficult conversations or, or, or large projects or difficult tasks or things like that. Like that's just kind of my, my state is always afterwards be like, that was not as bad as I thought it would be. Like, I, I don't think I've almost ever gone the other direction where it's like, oh, that was much worse than I thought it would be. Right. So yeah. it's like, I got to drag that calibration kicking and screaming in the other direction somehow. But we'll, yep. s- we'll see. I might just have to just deal with this, this stupid brain. <laughs> awesome. Why don't we wrap it up then? Cool. It was good chat. I feel like we got a little more personal touch in this time. 
Yeah, I feel like a good talk. Yeah, me too. I, f- I feel better. <laughs> so do I. Good. Our therapy session is done then. <laughs> Today's show was produced and edited by Tom the Phenom Obarski. If you'd like to access the show notes for this episode, you can go to giantrobots.fm slash 208. Thanks for listening. Thank you.